Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester Evening podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. There's plenty of cause for celebrations this week and not just because the transfer window is finally closed. We'll bring breakdown United's win at Leicester in the Premier League and look ahead to the weekend visit of league leaders Arsenal to Old Trafford. Now it was a busy deadline day for United with two new faces coming through the door. Sadly, the same can't be said about us. We've got the usual suspects here with us today, uh, Samuel and Ty. How are you both doing? Uh, I think even better, uh, despite that comment about about our appearance there, Rich. Very, very, very good intro. Very good. Yes, it's very witty, Rich. I, I was doing quite well until you uh, you brought me down a couple of levels there. Well, from witty to gritty, United's latest win against Leicester. You were both there. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because after a win like that. You've, some fans won't be getting too carried away, but this is the type of win United was struggling to do for the last year, really. They've done two in a row now, back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. What have you made of it, Samuel? It was a progressive performance against Leicester. They they should have won a lot more comfortably. Uh, they had the opportunities on the counter-attack. I mean, Ten Hag was proactive with the change with Casemiro coming on because Leicester did come back out in the second half in quite an intense way. They were going through the motions in the second half, sorry, the first half. They're a, a team that look quite disillusioned. They're in disarray. Um, I think by the time people hear this, Brendan Rodgers' embargo quotes might have caused a bit of a stir. Uh, they're well worth looking out for, whether you're a Leicester fan or not. And yeah, I mean, the, the, I think it was the 26th minute I clocked it, that piece of play United um got together where I think it was eight passes within 10 seconds inside their own third. And they just you know, were very cool um, in moving it about, one-touch passing, very slick. And they went on the attack and I think they kept the ball for about 40 seconds and Leicester only got it back when Ericsson's shot was gathered by Danny Ward. So there, there were more... There were in, I thought there were times and phases of play at Leicester where you could see an identity starting to form that, that wasn't the case against Southampton. Southampton was a wholly unconvincing win. And last night, United faced Leicester at a good time, but their record against Leicester in recent seasons has not been good. Uh, it was a particularly chastening um, result, defeat there last season. So you have to look at it as, as a progressive performance, a progressive result. Three straight wins uh, for the first time since uh, April 2021, I think Ty said. And also back-to-back clean sheets for the first time since March 2021. I mean, that that back four at the moment, something would have to go all right for that not to be the back four towards the end of the season. Um, I think objectively, uh, looking at the way they've they've come together and what Ten Hag has done with them, it's been extremely impressive. And I think he'll only regret maybe not forming that back four sooner. I think it was certainly on his mind going into the Brentford game, but... 
Brandon Martinez is a very promising partnership and the fullbacks have been excellent as well. So a lot to build on going to, into the Arsenal game, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But as I said, a progressive result and performance. And it's after a terrible top, uh, couple of weeks. They've had a terrific couple of weeks. Well, exactly. It's still less than three weeks ago with that Brentford game. So to be able to come back and win those two away matches in that style and, and to see them out as well towards the end, because you sense that United teams of old would have conceded in the dying moments of both of those games, but this one didn't. Obviously, there's a bit of luck in there and some poor finishing, but it's still a positive to take. Ty, in terms of the standout performers then, I mean, the back line got a lot of credit. For you, were there any other players who, who did stand out for you against Leicester? Um I think the defence, primarily, I thought all four of the back four were, were excellent again. Um, Jaden Sancho looked looked sharp when he had the ball. He drifted out of the game a little bit, but I think United's attacking threat diminished and they're, they're still not getting him involved quite as often as as perhaps he should be. Um, I thought Scott McTominay was really good, um, really combative first half. It was noticeable how um, physical he was, and I think that's... That's an area where United's game under Ten Hag, Ten Hag has, has changed a lot in terms of the physicality. Um, Eriksen was good in, in midfield as well, but I think primarily it, it was the back four for me. We, we mentioned there, Samuel mentioned that piece of play. There have been, been moments, both goals this week have been good team goals. It is still moments you're getting, I think, with this United team rather than sort of a, a coherent 90-minute performance at the moment. You can see what Ten Hag wants and it is a work in progress. For me, the biggest change under Ten Hag in the last few games is one of mentality and an attitude. And I think you can see that that has changed a lot. And it it's a little bit of a a cliche in a generalization, but it feels like the sort of the, the heart of this team has almost shifted from being that that domestic team that Solskjaer wanted to build to a little bit more Latin really under under Ten Hag, I guess. And you've you've seen like Wamba Saka, Maguire, Shaw not in a team. Players like, um, you look at the three South Americans he signed this year, you look at the aggression and intensity Martinez is bringing that to that defence. Dallow the same. Um, you think, are you saying bring back Angel Di Maria? Is that what you're trying to say? Get them all in. Get any Argentinians, Brazilians, get them in there. Get a team of them. Um, but you can, you can see that edginess and that nastiness. And I think last year, United felt for the opposition like an easy team to play against. I think teams look forward to playing against United. And however the game ended up, you always knew if you played United, they would at least let you do what you want to do. You could work on a game plan and know you could execute it because they weren't going to disrupt it. Where it feels with this team at the moment, like they will disrupt it. They are a bit more snarky and snidey to play against. There's a little bit of edge there. Um, and you, you look at the, you know, I, I thought it was a noticeable moment when, when Dallow produced that block in the second half that ricocheted back off Harvey Barnes and went out for a goal kick and, you know, he was chest bumping with Lissandro Martinez and roaring at each other in celebration. And you just can't imagine Aaron Wambasaka and Harry Maguire doing that, can you? And that's not necessarily to criticise those players. I think, you know, it's an English trait, isn't it, that we are more reserved and, and to, to generalise an entire continent. Um, you know, Brazilians and Argentinians and South Americans are a bit more um, in your face and, and open with that kind of thing. But it feels like this United team needed that, really. They needed that edge and... That's what's gotten through the last couple of games because they've Ty, been. Ty, I, I can't, I can't believe. Ty, I can't believe you forgot Phil Jones and Chris Morning's chest bumping in the 2018 FA Cup semi-final. What's wrong with you? That that uh, was just the highlight of, of United season. Yeah, well, maybe they're the maybe they're the domestic players they need. I mean, maybe Phil Jones could could come back and be be third choice centre half if he can do the if he can do the chest bumping with Martinez. But it does, you know, that 
that sort of nastiness and, and that, you know, the, the commitment to defend in the last couple of games, the last three games has been impressive. And I think that's what's got them through because it, it still feels like in terms of going forward and progressive play, this is a work in progress for, for Ten Hag, but they're getting wins because it feels like the, the spirit in the team has, has changed a little bit this season. There's some real, not massive dilemmas, so it's a good selection headache for Ten Hag, isn't there, Samuel? Because as Ty said there, it would be harsh to drop Scott McTominay at the moment after a performance like that. But Casemiro's made a difference in both games he's come on. He's obviously up to speed now. He should go go into the lineup surely. But who, who drops out? Uh, McTominay, uh, because <laughs> Casemiro is, is a defensive midfielder and he's one of the, the best about. And if you want to get to where United feel they, they should be in and to become a credible force again. You've you've got to eventually play the best players available to you. You, you can't just forget McTominay's six touches on the edge of Brighton's area on the opening weekend and him maiming was it Moises Casado, I think. So McTominay has recovered well from from that opening defeat and obviously he wasn't he wasn't a starter at Brentford, which did his cause no harm whatsoever. But you've you can't just look at it in, in isolated patches. United are in form at the moment as, as far as results go. They are still a work in progress. I completely agree with what Ty said about them still being a moments team. They're still not quite knitting together um, opportunities or attacks. It, it wasn't a particularly creative performance at Leicester. Beyond the goal, it's very difficult to think of an opportunity that you'd have said that was clear cut for them. And they were coming up against a team who I said are a winless bottom of the table and, and frankly have Danny Ward in goal as well, who, I mean, the way he, he's approached to goalkeeping, it does make David De Gea look a, a beacon of, of modernity as far as goalkeepers go. Um, so they, they should have been a bit more ruthless against Leicester and maybe where they are work in progress and they're still trying to adapt to some of the things Ten Hag wants them to do. They're still caught between a rock and a hard place, it might feel like, during um, certain certain stages of the game. But when when, when you when you sign Casemiro for £60 million, up to £70 million, pounds, he's not being signed to you know, bring presence to the bench or be a cheerleader from the touchline. He's, he's someone who, you know, in, from United's perspective, they would hope will be a player to lead them back into the Champions League and actually try and compete in the Champions League should they be in it next season or the season after next season. And it's a similar in case with Anthony. When you pay that money for him, he's going straight into the team. I don't think he will necessarily this weekend because he was, well, he was practically on strike at Ajax for the last two or three weeks of his of his time there. And he won't have played in, will it have been three or four weeks? So that, that seems a bit much to ask for him. But when you invest seriously in, in players in the transfer market, uh, you've you've got to play them. It, it, it's, it's inevitable sooner or later. But I think Tottenham's an interesting example in that obviously they had a very active summer in the transfer market. And I don't think any of those new players, apart from maybe Perisic, have started so far under Conte. And of course, Perisic has got history having played for Conte at Inter Milan. But... It's, it's because, obviously, Conte wants a settled team. Um, they've, they've had a good start, Tottenham, um, pre pretty much. So he doesn't really want to change anything. And there is an element of patience there. 
But with Casemiro, I think it was quite clear the way Ten Hag went about picking that team at Leicester that he did have an eye on Arsenal. And that's that's got to be the way um, between now and and certainly the start of the World Cup in November where United have got, it's, it's almost a, a Thursday, Sunday schedule for um, for, for the next next two, two, two and a half months or so. Ty, lots of talk about how much United have spent this summer, but Christian Eriksen arrived on a free and he's been as good as anyone, really. What have you made of his start to life in the United shirt? And there's not even really debate that he drops out of the lineup anymore, is there? No, not really. Um, I think he's been he's been really good. Um, I mean, he's barely missed a minute, I think, in, in the Premier League so far. He's not, I think, the earliest he's come off is maybe the 86th minute, 87th minute. So he's clearly someone Ten Hag trusts. Um, he's been he's been very good, very good on the ball. Um, better now. He, he's not playing holding midfield. I think that experiment at Brentford was a bit of a disaster. This is obviously a, a better position for him, and he will benefit from Casemiro coming in without a doubt. You can certainly see a midfield of Casemiro, Eriksen, and, and Fernandez for United. I think that'd be a, a very good midfield. Um, I I do wonder if he'll drop out this weekend, and that Fred might might get the the, the opportunity to play and. If there, you know, the, with those four now, it does feel like there is competition. It, I think, you know, I think Samuel's right. McTominay is is going to be back up for Casemiro, really, isn't he? He's going to play the Europa League games and, and be that sort of second choice holding midfielder. But Fred's a bit more versatile, can play a bit further forward, and Casemiro and Fred do have a very good relationship for for Brazil. So I think there's you'd look at that and think Casemiro is a certainty, Fernandez is a certainty, and then it's between Ericsson and Fred, and I think maybe Fred might get the nod this weekend, but the way Ericsson has started, there's an awful lot to like about it. I think we all thought it was a very shrewd signing at the time. He is still only 30. It's not like he's getting on particularly. You know, There's an awful lot left to him yet, and he's just a very classy player, isn't he? And it was noticeable, I think, the Southampton game especially, it was noticeable that when he was on the ball, you know, United looked more progressive than at any other time in that game when he got the ball and he got them moving forward, and He's definitely slotted in nicely in, into what Ten Hag wants from the team. So, deadline day then, Samuel. Anthony's deal was made official. Dubravka came in as well. You've already spoken on Anthony there. You know, the fee paid. He, he has to come in and be a starter eventually, even if, if not this weekend. What have you made of the actual deal? Because, of course, it's a player Ten Hag wants, someone he trusts. The fee, obviously, going to get a lot of attention. But if he comes in and solves that as a right-wing issue finally, then it probably is money that, that will be justified. But what what are you making of that? Do you think he is a player who's the right fit? Or do you think it's a huge gamble for someone coming from the Dutch league? It's, it's an element of both, really. When you invest that much money in a player, and given the state of play of United's attack, where you've already seen this season, although they've won a few games recently, they're not... They're not a prolific side and they really need these early 20-something to mid-20-something forwards to break Wellens' double figures uh, this season because Ronaldo almost certainly won't be there this time next year given his contract situation. And with Anthony, I mean, uh, it's, it's maybe a little bit unfair on him, but Erling Haaland in August scored nine league goals for Man City Anthony scored eight league goals in the entirety of last season. That was in the Dutch league. And he has cost £34 million more than Haaland. Now, all the mitigation to one side, he is under huge, huge pressure to justify the expense. He has got to catch fire 
immediately for people to ease off on him, not scrutinise him. And that's going to be very difficult uh, at United. And I think it's just as well for him that he's joining a club where he knows the manager. Obviously, Ten Hag has done wonders for his career. Ten Hag has developed him effectively into a 100 million euro player. But United really should have been doing that deal at the start of the summer because he would have been he would have been cheaper. He'd have still cost a, a reasonable fee. I think Ajax were looking at between 60 million euros and 80 million euros. United didn't get it done soon enough. Then they obviously furnish Ajax with about 50 million pounds or more than that, um, rising with the, the add-ons for Lissandro Martinez. Then they have a couple of dreadful results and they've still not signed forward. And the price is all, it's, it's only ever going to go one way and it's going to go up. And United have just never, ever recovered from the Fellaini deal in 2013 when they could have signed him for £23 million because that was his release clause. That expired, I think, at the start of August. United then bid £28 million for Fellaini and Leighton Baines, who was his teammate at Everton. That was rejected. And on deadline day, they end up signing Fellaini for £27.5 million, and they don't sign Leighton Baines. And Fellaini has a disastrous season. And since then, every club in Europe, they see Man United coming a mile off. Uh, almost always, United are in a pretty dismal place. Uh, there, there's always something, some sort of issue. Um, even when they finished second in, in 2018, those major deals that summer were release clauses. And th there's no point getting into that. But essentially, United overpay. Um, they, have, they almost have an obligation to overpay. They are taxed differently to other clubs. Um, but that is their fault because of the way they've operated in the transfer market in the last nine years. And Anthony was always going to be expensive, but due to relative incompetence on United's behalf, he has turned out to be an even more expensive signing. He's just a player that they should have signed early in the summer. Things clearly did change. Something has to have changed if you go from trying to sign Marco Arnautovic and Adrian Rabiot for what would have been a combined barely £30 million, and you end up what investing nearly £160 million in Casemiro and, and Anthony. So the, the results, I mean, we've seen it before with United. They go a bit dormant in the transfer window. The season starts, they have a couple of bad results, and suddenly they are spending you know, in, in a kamikaze way almost. I think it was the strikes Ferguson referred to kamikaze spending by Manchester City because United weren't spending back then. So with Anthony, look, there's, there's merit in signing him. They did need a left-footed forward, absolutely. They needed to balance out that attack. Um, but when you do spend that much money on a player, they've, they've got to be a dependable goal scorer or someone who, who's, who has a good goal scoring pedigree. And you can't say that of Anthony. He's got 20 goals in two seasons at Ajax, which is, is reasonable going. But as we've said before, the Eredivisie is where United wanted to send Ahmad on loan last season. He eventually ended up in Scotland and he couldn't hack it there. And only last week, Rangers knocked PSV Eindhoven out of the Champions League before the group stage. So there is a hell of a lot of risk attached to it. And I think that's the case with most of United signings this summer. They are all heavily, there's a heavy caveat with all of them. But Anthony has got into the Brazil squad. He will probably play at the World Cup. He is undeniably talented. Ajax have got a long track record and clubs in Holland have got a long track record of taking 
um, promising prodigies from South America and they, they're transformed into world, world-class players after they, they leave the halfway house of the Eredivisie. Um, and, and in fairness to Ten Hag as well, when, when he told us in pre-season that he'd rather sign English players, if, if you're looking for a left-footed Englishman and you've got £80 million to spend, you, you're probably looking at someone like Jared Bowen and an investment in Jared Bowen for £80 million is undeniably far more illogical than spending that money on Anthony, who the manager does at least know. So while there is, you know, there's the con of just backing the manager and going off his wish list and not having a clear strategy where the scouts have undeniable input, um, it is more logical than the way I'd say Chelsea have operated this summer, which has been far more scattergun than United. And it's, it's already, it already feels like it's unravelling at Chelsea. I, I'd, I'd say they had a worse summer than United. United did just about salvage their summer in that they got all the uh, key positions, players for the key positions. They were never, ever going to sign Frankie Dion and Casemiro. And look, there's a clear shift there because they are markedly different players. Um, it would have been great if they managed to get both of them, but that was just never, ever on the cards whatsoever. They'd agreed a fee of something like €85 million Euros for Dion. In the end, that fee essentially went towards signing Casemiro, and Casemiro is undeniably what they need more than Dion, as good as Dion might have been for United. Um, but again, with Anthony, as I said, there's a hell of a lot of pressure on him already. And it's, it's not beyond the realm's possibility for a mega money United signing to take off straight away. Lukaku did in, in 2017. I think he had 11 goals by the end of September. But Lukaku had been playing in the Premier League for, what, four or five years at that point. So he'd been warming up for a big move to a, to a top six side. Um, and of course, Chelsea wanted him that summer. Uh, Anthony's not had that exposure and he's coming from a league that is, is is more like the Scottish Premiership than, than the Premier League. So, as I said, United really need him to get going as quickly as possible because you know, th- there are so many ways of looking at it where you can undermine the investment they've made. Another arrival on deadline day in time, Martin Dubravka joined on loan. Uh, it's a really weird dynamic now, isn't it? It's particularly with uh, Tom Heaton still at the club, who many people thought could occupied basically the same role as a number two. He's surely going to be the number three now. What have you made of the deal to bring Dubravka in? It's obvious that Ten Hag wanted someone else who can come in and offer some backup to De Gea, but Dubravka doesn't seem like the type of goalkeeper that fits even the manager's style of play. No, um, a bit of a confusing one, really. Um, I mean, every club wants three goalkeepers now, especially Premier League clubs. They want three decent goalkeepers, and I guess United have got that. Normally, you'd have one who's maybe a little bit younger. I mean, they've got three in their 30s. Three are all number ones in the Premier League not too long ago. And to go from, you know, looking at someone like Kevin Trapp, who is good with his feet and fits Ten Hag's philosophy to Dubravka, does seem strange. Um, our colleague Stephen did a piece the other day and, and mentioned in their fans saying what, what a great sweeper keeper he is and how great with his feet. I don't think we've seen any evidence of that in the Premier League. I mean, he was a number one into Steve Bruce, wasn't he? The, you know, the only... The only time he uses his feet is to leather it. So there's no, um, I don't think there's any real evidence that he's great with his feet. I don't see a scenario where he challenges De Gea particularly. Um, you know, he does strengthen the goalkeeping ranks, but I don't, you know, I, I don't think he's the signing that 
is really going to challenge De Gea. I don't think De Gea will be looking at that thinking, oh, I'm under pressure now. Um, I just can't see a scenario where he gets in ahead of him, to be honest. He might play the European games, but as you say, it's 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 a strange dynamic now with you've got a number two and a number three who probably both feel they can be a number two. Tom Heaton was signed last year to be a number two and wasn't. Um, it's probably expected to be a number two this year and isn't going to be again. So it, it, it's not a great... It's not a great scenario. It doesn't feel like, you know, it just adds, it, it further clouds the goalkeeping departments in a way. Obviously, Dean Henderson's doing pretty well with Forrest. Um, it, it still feels like next year, there's there's a big decision to make over goalkeepers and what you're doing and who is your number one. Um, I was saying yesterday, there's an argument, you let the Hayes contract run out and sell Henderson for big money and, and sign two goalkeepers. I, I can't see United doing that. They should have got with the Hayes contract because he's on so much money that, if they take the option or give him a new deal, no one else in Europe can sign him. No one else can pay those wages, so you can't get rid of him any other way. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is a, a strange one. I mean, it gives them a third goalkeeper, but I don't think it's anyone that's going to challenge De Gea. There's, there's obviously this obligation to buy if he plays a certain number of Premier League games. You can't see that being met at all. And, you know, I mean, the only scenario is if, if De Gea got an injury that kept him out for the season and, and Dubravka came in. You almost, you know, there's, there's no reason United would want to buy Dubravka at 34 next year. And if he ever, if he somehow got close to playing that number of games, you could just see him being dropped. United don't fulfil the obligation because there's no need to spend six million pounds on on a 34 year old Martin Dubravka next summer. So, you know, it, it ticks a box. It gives them three goalkeepers, which which most clubs want. I don't think they'd have felt hugely comfortable having Kovar or Bishop as as third choice in. If De Gea gets injured, you've got Heaton as number one and then Kovar or Bishop. I think that would have been riskier. Um, but I don't think it really fulfills the brief of, of putting competition on De Gea particularly. Samuel, last part on transfers then. I mean, United have finished the window without a recognised goal scorer coming in. You know, still very reliant on Ronaldo. Marshall's already been injured this season twice now. And no ball playing. Well, I guess Ericsson has dropped and morphed into that role of more expressive midfielder but you know Ten Hag chased De Jong for 100 days and didn't get someone like him in so do you still think United missed out on, on two key positions in the summer or do you think that you know they spent so much that you can't really have any sympathy whatsoever? I'd say one I, I do think they needed another outright forward someone who more specifically is is a goal scorer not necessarily an out and out number nine but someone who has got goal scoring pedigree in one of the top five leagues who would have been completely suited to the premier league and what they need that can't be difficult for a scouting department to come up with a shortlist but there they were trying to get marco Arnautovic in only a few weeks ago so uh, it's yeah it's, sometimes it's, it's difficult to work out united i mean some scout meetings that i was told about this year um a 30-minute presentation on why Chiuameni isn't right for United and then he signs for Real Madrid who've won the Champions League and La Liga and another one suggested Declan Rice wasn't United calibre. Again, he'd probably still walk into United's team. I I, I don't know what these scouts are on really. It's, It's remarkable how they've come full circle again in the worst possible way because it just reminds me of that fraught meeting we were told about that, that Moyes had with the scouts where he just accused them of all being dormant of, of sleeping on the job and he asks the scout the Spanish scout on the spot this is late 2013 what, you know recommend me a player and he says Sal Miguez 
and then the next month Phil Neville's <laughs> in in Spain watching watching Sal Miguez uh, next to unfortunately for him an, an English journalist who was living in Spain at the time so the cat was let out of the bag quite quickly there and again coming back to this summer I don't think it's beyond Ericsson whatsoever to uh, occupy that that De Jong role, if you like, because he's such a quality player. And if he's got Casemiro as a safety net uh, behind him or next to him, that's that's far more um, preferable to what he had at, at Brentford, where he was almost the, the def- well, he wasn't a defensive midfielder, but he was the deepest midfielder with Fred. And they just got gobbled up there. And you could you could have seen that happening to to De Jong as well. Um, ultimately, I always thought as soon as I heard or was told about the De Jong interest and that it was concrete, I just thought this this really just doesn't feel like a goer. Like the State United are in Europa League fodder. He he's been he's as wedded to Barcelona as you can get for someone who plays for them and isn't from Catalonia. He's been very invested in playing at Barcelona for as long as he possibly can. And they should have walked away from that long before um, it, it officially ended. Uh, and it officially ended, really, when they signed Casemiro, because they certainly weren't going to invest £70 million in another central midfielder as, as tantalising as prospect as Casemiro and Dion playing together would have been. But if a player doesn't want to join you, you should not be, you should not be entertaining them or, or engaging them. And United had... You know, there were things United were informed of that suggested that, okay, it's, it's worth pursuing and it's worth backing the manager on this. But I think if De Jong really wanted to be at United, he'd have been at United by now. Um, and he could have forced it through one way or another, even though the wage deferral was was a massive stumbling block. But going back to the goal scoring issue, it, it is an issue because, okay, Ronaldo's mind is clear now. The exit route, that's, that's not happened. He's at United for another four months. Uh, hopefully for United's sake that will see an upturn in form for him and he'll become more productive when, when he is on the pitch. It'll be interesting to see if he starts at the weekend. Sancho scoring twice already this season is a good start for him. I think he took into, it was late November he got his uh, first and second goals last season. But Martial, as, as good as he was in pre-season in the second half against Liverpool, he scored eight goals for United in the last two years. You can't say he's going to be a reliable goal scorer. Rashford was a bit better at Leicester, but when he had that opportunity in the second half, he completely scuffed his uh, his effort at goal um, with his left foot, I think it was. So with every forward, bar Ronaldo, you're looking at them and you're thinking you wouldn't be hanging your hat on him getting 20 goals this season. And United are going to need, if, if that's not the case, then United certainly need about five or six players to break well into the the double figures barrier. And I think only last season, Ronaldo and Fernandes were the only the only players to do that. So a lot of players are going to have to step up this season and compensate for the, the lack of a, um, a, a more youthful, reliable goal scorer, I suppose, given that Ronaldo turns 38 in February. Marco Arnaud which has three goals in four games this season. Uh, which is uh, just worth putting out there. Um, Ty, Arsenal this weekend, toughest test of the season so far, probably against the current league leaders. What are you expecting from that one? Um, yeah, it, it feels like a really interesting game now in, in seeing where both teams are. Like you said, United have done well for three games in a row. Um, 
and we, we start building some momentum. Arsenal obviously won five in a row and they've done two things this week that are very un-Arsenal-y, um, which, you know, is, is impressive to have to have achieved that and got that. The, the, the comeback against Fulham was very good. The way they quickly took the lead against Villa again was very impressive. They look a really decent side. Arteta's done a good job in terms of just shipping out the, the dead wood in the place he didn't want there. He's been backed by the club, but he has turned that squad around and it, it feels like a real sort of litmus test for both teams in, in terms of, of where they are. I don't think Arsenal are realistic title challengers, but they certainly look a top four side now and if they get a result, they'll be confident of that. United obviously are, are back in fifth, somehow have been bottom just a few weeks ago. And like I said, this, this, this momentum under Ten Hag is building and building quickly. And if they were to get a win and a decent performance against Arsenal, that, that would continue. So it does. It feels like one of those games that is really hard to call and, and really interesting. And I think we're going to learn an awful lot about both teams. In terms of team then, Samuel, what changes would you make if we said that, you know, put Casemiro in, Anthony probably better suited to a bench role for this game. Any other changes you'd make? I would bring Ronaldo in. Uh, Arsenal have had a terrific start and they've got immense firepower. Jesus has been terrific for them. I don't think I've ever seen him play that well. Sorry, I didn't see him ever play that well for City. Maybe against Real Madrid that time in the second leg, uh, which was behind closed doors, I think. But he's he's looked absolutely outstanding as their number nine. They've got quality in Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard. I think there's a fitness doubt on, but he's you know he's really he's settled there after a quite a. Um, strange start to his career and that he had so much attention at the age of what 15 I think it was when he went to Real Madrid and then he was just um hawked around Europe not really to his to his benefit at all but Arsenal I would be amazed if they don't score at the weekend I think this run of one nil wins um for United will come to an end they're going to need to score more than once if they're to have a chance of winning this game and although they did do that against Liverpool um this isn't an occasion where, I mean, for United sake, you hope they're as intense as they were against Liverpool, but it's a completely different occasion and their backs aren't against the wall anymore because they've they've got three wins on, on the spin. And also, I just think that Ronaldo, his, his goal-scoring record against Arsenal is, is so good. This is a guy who got two goals against them as a 19-year-old and two goals against them last season as, as a 36-year-old. Ultimately, Saliba and, and Gabriel would much rather be playing against Marcus Rashford than Ronaldo. And I just think it's an element of complacency to play that same front three for what would be four games running. Uh, Elanga came off last night quite early in the second half. He didn't have much of an impact at all. He puts a shift in, but he's not as reliable as putting the ball in the back of the net or putting the ball in the uh, in the area for, for a teammate to get on the end of. So, I mean, the way the squad's shaping up now and the players they have available, they've and, and with the five substitutions, they've got there's so much flexibility for United to to change the way they approach a game, to tweak the attack, to tweak the formation, as Ten Hag did at Leicester by bringing Casemiro on uh, just to shore things up. And look, Ronaldo's not started since that Brentford game. Um, I think he was he was better at Leicester. Uh, off the bench, I thought it was dreadful against Southampton, but he, he was a lot more, he was a lot sharper. He seemed at, at Leicester, and I just think that if you've if you need goals, not a goal to win a game, 
then you, you've got to have the, greatest, the game's greatest goal scorer on your team uh, rather than a front three that has has been pretty flawed to say the least. More so in the last two games than, than the Liverpool game. It was it was it was a bit harsh on on Elanga to take him off at half time, given that he he'd had a pretty decent half to say the least. But that call was completely vindicated by Ten Hag because Marshall was outstanding. And if if Marshall was fit, I think he would be starting on on Sunday. But uh, yeah, the, the embargo time has passed. It's safe to say that he's actually out of that game. <laughs> Ty, for yourself then, I mean, I think that forward line is the interesting one, isn't it? Because do you go for that fluid front three who can all interchange or do you put Ronaldo in? Because as Samuel said, if you want goals, you, you play him. What what would you do personally? I, I would go with Ronaldo, I think, with Martial being out. He did look... I thought he looked poor when he came on at Southampton. He, he he looked his age there. He looked a lot sharper last night. Um, and I think against Arsenal, I, I think it's an argument you just you just play him. And I, I don't see Anthony starting. And I don't think Sancho, Alanga and Rashford are necessarily going to cause Arsenal enough problems. So I think I would play Sancho and Rashford on the wings and, and go with Ronaldo. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Ronaldo. I'm, I'm not sure he is in Ten Hag's best team at the moment in, in terms of a collective when when Martial is fit, but I think at the at the moment, if it's a if it's a toss up between Martial, if it's a toss up between Ronaldo starting and Alanga starting, I think you have to go with Ronaldo at the moment and and play him through the midfield and and sort of risk the the trade off there in in terms of the collective and, and you're probably going to need his goals at the moment because like we said, the the one concern with United is where the goals come from and, and they're not creating loads of chances. So yeah, I would I would go with Ronaldo. Of course, there's so many games coming up thick and fast that you'd expect Ronaldo to get chances chances regardless, even if it is in those European games that he does start. So we'll keep an eye on that. The... Exactly. Um, <laughs> Samuel, last question then for both of you. Maybe not a precise score prediction, but do you think United can keep this this winning run going against Arsenal? I do. They've... They've got the, you know, they're on an upward curve again. The, the morale is a hell of a lot better than it was a couple of weeks ago. Arsenal, it looks like, might have a few key absences as well. It looks like Partey's out. Um, Odegaard could be out. I think Ramsdale could even be out as well. So that might be uh, an interesting day for, for Matt Turner if, if he comes in. Um, so, and also Arsenal, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a Great quality to have, resilience, uh, winning games that you should win, but in a, quite a tricky, tough way. And that's that's a skill they've not been synonymous with in previous seasons or previous decades even, you could, you could argue. But they, they're not winning games as comfortably now. And I don't think anybody necessarily thought they, they're going to win Sunday com- comfortably either. But maybe they are starting to lose a bit of that, that early season momentum which you see a lot of clubs that they can start a season like a house on fire and then they they fall away. But Arsenal look genuine top four competitors this season um, at the very least. But as I said, I think United, if they if the right pragmatic decisions are made as far as the selection is concerned, um, back at Old Trafford and after three three wins on the spin, I, I, as I said, I, I do fancy them to actually win this weekend, which given what the state I was a fortnight ago, is, is, is quite the turnaround. Ty, yourself, are you going to carry on with the optimism or are you going to bring some doom and gloom on the end of this podcast? Um, I, I will carry on the optimism just for um, for optimism's sake, really. But I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think any result would surprise me particularly. Um, but I will go with a, a tight 
2-1 win for United. But I do feel like it's a it's a really interesting game and I think we're going to learn, learn a lot more about both teams on Sunday. Exactly. And we will be back early next week to dissect whatever does happen at Old Trafford this Sunday. So if you want to follow the game, of course, you just need to be on the Manchester Evening News website. We'll have all the build-up, all the coverage and all the reaction on Sunday afternoon. So Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. And thank you once again, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.